Well, signs are important. For those of you who don't know, Diane and I were missionaries in Central America, and we would often find ourselves asking for directions to places that we needed to get to. And we would end up with people drawing us a map and giving us landmarks that weren't even there. In Nicaragua, there are actually no street signs at all. And so most of the time, you're kind of guessing where you're going. And I would often get very frustrated at the lack of signs. Could you imagine a world without signs? If you think about it, every day of our lives, we rely on some sort of sign, whether that's helping us get to work, pointing us to a certain aisle in the grocery store, helping us navigate through a hospital or an airport. Signs are important in everyday life. And signs are important in the Bible. Like the signs in our everyday lives, signs are pointing to something beyond themselves. Signs in the Bible are pointing us to spiritual truths. And in the Gospel of John, signs are very important. In fact, many scholars refer to the first section of John chapters 1 through 12 as the book of signs. And when John explains his purpose for writing this gospel, he says that he purposely selected these few number of signs to tell his readers about. And in chapter 20, verses 30 to 31, John writes, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, these signs are mentioned here, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so the signs that are mentioned in this gospel are there so that the readers, including you and me, would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that we might have life in his name. Signs in this gospel point to who Jesus is and what he has done. The sign that Jesus performs in our text this morning is amazing. Rather than going down to Capernaum where this boy is laying sick, ill, dying, Jesus heals the boy from 20 miles away with just a word. But may we not only be amazed by the sign and miss what the sign is pointing to. The main point which I hope you see in the text this morning is this. Jesus is the Savior who gives life to those who take him at his word. Jesus is the Savior who gives life to those who take him at his word. All right, so let's take a look at verse 43. It says, after the two days, he departed for Galilee. So remember, we're coming into the middle or near the end of this chapter. And John has told us this story of this Samaritan woman and of this whole village that came to Jesus. And what did they ask him? They asked him to stay with him for two days. And what was the result of Jesus staying with them? Many more believed because of his word. They confess that Jesus is indeed the savior of the world. And so after these two days with the Samaritans, Jesus and his disciples leave for Galilee. 
And as I was reading this passage earlier on this week, I was a little confused at what is said in verse 44 and then what is said in verse 45. It seems to be contradictory. Why does Jesus say that a prophet has no honor in his hometown, and yet when he comes to Galilee, the people welcome him? At first, it didn't make sense to me. It sounds like Jesus received a warm welcome from the Galileans. But then as you read on, you see what John actually means. Jesus says in verse 48, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Things kind of became clear to me. This welcome is not as warm and accepting as it may seem on the surface. These Galileans who welcome Jesus are welcoming him in a shallow and conditional way. John is making this point that, yes, Jesus was welcomed, but he definitely was not honored as a prophet. Look at verse, verse 45. The Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. These Galileans saw Jesus perform signs and miracles in Jerusalem. John's pointing us back to what he has already said in John chapter 2, verses 23 to 25. Now when he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. There were many people who believed only because of the signs that Jesus was performing. And so Jesus did not entrust himself to them. He did not trust them because he knew what was in them. Jesus knew their hearts. They were only looking for what they could get from him and not seeing what the signs pointed to, him being the Messiah, the one who came to save them from their sins. These Galileans welcomed Jesus because they wanted to be around a miracle worker. But Jesus was not honored as a prophet. Prophets are honored when people listen and believe their words. They welcomed him because of the signs they saw, not because of who he is. John is drawing this contrast here between the Galileans and the Samaritans. The Samaritans, the outsiders, they welcomed Jesus warmly and believed him. And these Galileans... They were only interested in what they've seen Jesus do, the miracles he performed. To the Galileans, Jesus offered entertainment and problem solving. They weren't seeking him as their savior. John mentions at the beginning of this gospel, Jesus came to his own and his own people did not receive him. And that's what we're seeing here in this text. The welcome from the Galileans was superficial in comparison to this genuine reception of the Samaritans. And so what we see unfolding in the last four chapters is that those who we would consider the ones to be on the inside, his own people, did not receive him, did not believe him. And those who we would consider the most unlikely people for God to save, the ones who are on the outside, these are the ones who truly receive him, and they believe. 
They believe that he is the Messiah. They believe that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. They believe that he is the Savior of the world. And so John sets this up, and now he tells us this story about an official and his son. So look at verse 46. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he made the water wine. By mentioning the the miracle of turning water into wine, John is clearly pointing back again to chapter 2. Seems like he wants his readers to think about these two stories, the wedding in Cana in chapter 2, and now this official's request in Cana in chapter 4. In both of these stories, we have the same location, but there's a lot of other similarities that we have. Notice, there's a need communicated to Jesus, right? So when Jesus was at this wedding, there was a need communicated to Jesus. There's no more wine. The joy has run out. Here, were communicated a need. My son is dying. There was a rebuke made by Jesus, right? Jesus rebukes his own mother by saying, my hour has not yet come. The rebuke in our text this morning is, you won't believe unless you see signs and wonders. And then the person who makes this request responds in faith, right? So Mary responds by saying, do whatever he tells you. Here in our text this morning, this man says, Sir, please come down before my child dies. And then Jesus gives a command that is obeyed. In the story at the wedding, Jesus tells the servants to fill the water jars. And then in our text this morning, Jesus tells this man to go. And then the need is met. At the wedding, The best wine is served last. And here in our story, the boy lives. And then John calls the miracle in both of these stories a sign. And then he says that some believe. At the wedding, the disciples believed. Here in our text, we have this official and his household believing. And so I think John means for us to see the similarities between these stories because chapter four is this bookend of this section. Chapter two, three, and four are supposed to go together. All right, so back to our text this morning. We've got some details about this man who comes to Jesus. Verse 46, and at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. So he's an official. This man was most likely a man who had a high position in King Herod's court. He had power. He had money, obviously, since he had servants that are mentioned later on. And he lived in Capernaum. In verse 47, when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Word had gotten around about Jesus And so this man hears that Jesus is in Cana, and so he travels 20 miles to get to Jesus. And he asks Jesus to come down to Capernaum and heal his dying son. Now, as a parent, one of the most helpless moments is when your child is sick. And you know there's nothing you can do to help. There's this parental instinct that kicks in 
that desires to protect our kids from danger. And so when our kids are sick, we would do anything to make them better. When your child is ill and it's out of your hands, that's a helpless place to be. And that's where this father is. And so when your son is on the verge of death, the last thing you want to do is leave his side. But this man believed whatever he heard about Jesus, and he left his son. We can easily make this man the hero of the story to speak about this great faith that he had, but maybe that's not what's happening here. Maybe he is probably just a dad who would do anything for his child, but he is being drawn to Jesus. He does leave his son because he thinks Jesus can help. Our text says that he went to Jesus and asked him to come down and heal his son. The verb asked is a little stronger than what we would often associate as asking. This man begged Jesus. In the uh, NASB, it says that he was imploring him. This man was desperate, like any of us would be, if someone we loved was dying. God often uses difficult moments in our lives to get us to seek him in ways that we never would have done if this crisis had not occurred. And so here is this man. He's desperate. He's begging Jesus to come down and heal his son. And what Jesus said is so surprising. Look at verse 48. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. That should be shocking to most of us. In this moment, we would think that Jesus would immediately show compassion and love for this situation. But instead, he says, you won't believe unless you see signs and miracles. Well, it's important to know that the you here in this verse is plural. So Jesus is speaking to this man, but he's also speaking to the Galileans in general, not just the the official. There are people watching all of this happen. This is happening out in public. The people are watching this man come to Jesus for the healing of his son. And Jesus says, what you people want is signs and wonders. This is a rebuke. Jesus' issue here was that the people did not come to him as Lord and Savior, but instead saw him as a useful wonder worker. They were consumers, not worshipers. They were admirers, not followers. And there are many in our day who come to church Not because their hearts are in awe because of God's glory or in awe because of what Christ has done on the cross, but they come for self-seeking worldly wisdom. They don't come to church to learn about God or the doctrines of the Bible, but they they want some self-help resources. They want a message that makes them feel better. They want some practical teaching that that can help them in the lifestyle that they they want to live themselves. Here Jesus rebukes those who come to him with any other faith that is not centered on him as Lord and Savior. 
Mark Johnson says this, Jesus is not interested in satisfying crowds who want to be entertained. He is interested in sinners who feel their need and are prepared to take him at his word. Jesus has no intention of doing an act that will merely draw a crowd. Jesus' response is to hold this man at arm's length. You people want signs and wonders. That's not enough. That's not why I'm here. I am here as Savior for those who come to me and see that they need saving from their sin. This man was viewing Jesus simply as a means to an end. His beloved son was about to die. And so he wanted Jesus to fix the problem. He came to Jesus seeking a sign, and Jesus rebuked him for it. And yet here, Jesus' rebuke isn't meant to be cold and heartless. It's merciful. He's exposing the weakness of those around him in order to lead them to the truth. He doesn't want people to follow him for the wrong reasons. He wants us to follow him because we need a savior. Charles Spurgeon said this, the nobleman did not know that he needed healing in his own heart. He did not perceive his own ignorance of Jesus and his own blindness to the Messiah. He did not know that he needed to be born again. Neither did he understand that the Savior could give him spiritual life and light. He had a little knowledge of the Savior's spiritual power, and thus his faith had a very, very narrow range. What he did believe was that the Lord Jesus, if he would come to his house, could prevent his child from dying of the fever. Well, how does this man respond? Look at verse 49. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. What Jesus has just said does not deter him. He persists in his request. Keep in mind, this guy is a royal official, but he is at the point of desperation, and Jesus is his last hope. If he leaves to return home without Jesus, there's probably not enough time to seek someone else to help his son. He loves his boy, and so he persists. He's doubling down, willing to be embarrassed, to look like a fool, all for the possibility of his son not dying. And the Lord is also working on his heart, drawing him to Jesus, because he could have left. He could have left to look for someone else, but he persists with Jesus. It takes humility to come to Jesus and ask him to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He says, sir, come down before my child dies. In a way, he's saying, Jesus, you are my only hope. At this point, he's only thinking about his son's healing, not realizing that he had a deep need for Jesus himself. Jesus came not only to heal physically, but to heal spiritually. And we are all in need of Jesus. The Bible tells us that we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And because of our sin, we have been separated from God. 
The Bible tells us that outside of Christ, we are dead in our sins and trespasses. This man's boy was on the verge of physical death, and yet all who don't believe in Jesus are spiritually dead. And there's no other way of salvation than through Jesus, who died on the cross and rose on the third day. This man's deep desire and need for Jesus ran deeper than he even knew. Not only did his boy need Jesus, but he did as well. Jesus was this man's last hope, and he cried out for mercy. Sir, heal my boy. And notice how Jesus responds in verse 50. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. Go, your son will live. Notice Jesus answers only part of the official's request. Jesus granted the healing of the son, but he refused to go down to Capernaum. This man's faith is being tested in this moment. The only thing that Jesus gives this man is his word. And by doing this, Jesus forced the man to believe without a sign. Jesus gives the official a command, go. Can you imagine this man hearing this from Jesus? What's Jesus doing? What's Jesus doing in this moment? He's giving him the chance to go from walking by sight to walking by faith. Faith in Jesus' word. You see, the real test is not, not how sincerely we pray when we're in a desperate situation. The real test is how we respond to what Jesus says, to what God says in his word. This man had to put aside his expectations of how Jesus was going to work and just take him at his word. Jesus is not going down to Capernaum because he doesn't have to. Amazingly, Jesus heals this child at a distance solely by the power of his word. Think of the scene here. There's people watching and listening to Jesus and this man. And because of how this man has been pleading, you would expect him to say back to Jesus, no, you need to come down with me. You don't get it, Jesus. I need you to be there with my boy. He's dying. But that's not how this man responded. Look again at verse 50. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. There was no arguing. There was no pleading with Jesus. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went. What a beautiful moment. Something awakened in this man. He saw something more than just a miracle worker. He took Jesus at his word. And if you trust Jesus, then you trust everything that Jesus says. Faith is not having a stiff upper lip. 
Faith is trusting everything that Jesus says and trusting his word. Faith is saying, yes, Lord, I believe. Faith means to trust in God's promises. Faith means when we sin that we confess our sins, knowing that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The essence of saving faith is taking Christ at his word. Think about that beautiful hymn. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. This man took Jesus at his word. He didn't see his son healed yet, but he believed the words that Jesus spoke. This is strong faith brought about by the grace of God. J.C. Ryle said in his commentary, he that by faith has laid hold on some word of Christ has got his feet upon a rock. What Christ has said he is able to do and what he has undertaken, he will never fail to make good. The sinner who has really reposed his soul on the word of the Lord Jesus is safe to all eternity. In the things of this world, we say that seeing is believing, but in the things of the gospel, believing is as good as seeing. What a great quote. But in the things of the gospel, believing is as good as seeing. This man trusted Jesus. He believed Jesus and did what Jesus told him to do. And once he began to obey, he received proof that what Jesus said was true. Look at verse 51. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. But notice that word yesterday. Did you guys notice that? Yesterday. If the official had left Cana at the seventh hour, which was one o'clock in the afternoon, then he would have made it home by at least 5 p.m. But the text tells us that he didn't get back home until the next day. If this was me, I would have booked it home to see if my child was okay or not. But not this man. He believed in Jesus' word so much that he stayed the night in Cana. That's faith. And then the next day he's traveling home and his servants meet him and they say, your son lives. He's getting better. And he says, what time? What time did he get better? And they said, at the seventh hour. Then the text says, the father knew. He knew. That was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. 
He's continuing to exercise faith here. No doubt this man believed in a more assured a sense than he did before. He went from taking Jesus at his word to recognizing that Jesus is no ordinary prophet, but one who can speak a word and heal at a distance. He is God in human flesh. And so our text says in verse 53, and he himself believed in all his household. Similar to the passage on the Samaritan woman, who goes back to her people and tells them about Jesus. This father goes back to his household and tells them about Jesus. And so his wife and his boy, that's okay now. And his servants, all his household believe in Jesus. What a great story. And then the last verse of this chapter ends with, this was now the sign, their second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. This was the second sign. John has structured his gospel around these signs. Remember, signs point to something. The miracles that we see in the gospels is not just Jesus showing off that he can do cool stuff. These signs point us to who Jesus is. And so it's very important that we make this point of clarification especially when we're looking at a story like this. Because there's some people in this room who have prayed prayers or who are currently praying prayers similar to this and have not had them answered. Jesus does not heal every child that is ill. Jesus does not always answer every prayer for healing. And so if we believe this text to say, well, Jesus can heal, and if he's going to respond in the same way in every situation, we miss the point of the story. That's not what John is communicating here. Yes, Jesus can heal, but that's not the point here. The point here is that Jesus healed this particular boy in this particular moment as a sign, pointing to something greater as a picture of something that he has come to do. By performing this sign, by healing this man's son, Jesus made it absolutely clear that he is the Son of God. Jesus healed with his word alone. Jesus speaks and it happens. What should this remind us of? Genesis chapter 1. God spoke the world into existence. God said, let there be light. And what? There was light. Jesus speaks and heals by his word alone. He is the son of God. He is God. This sign points to who he is, but it also points to what he has done. The sign also proved that Jesus was the giver of life. At the beginning of John's gospel, John tells us that in him was life. This sign points to the spiritual reality that Jesus has come to bring life to those who are near death. We see here that Jesus has the power over death and that he has come to undo the effects of sin in our fallen and broken world. We are 
all born spiritually dead. And that's why Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. We are all sinners with no spiritual life in us. But Jesus gives us life through his death. Romans 6, 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus is the Son of God who saves us from death and offers eternal life. The one whom, where there was always life, submitted himself to death. Death on a cross so that those who are dying and are dead might have life in his name. Just as Jesus instantly granted life to this dying boy, so he will instantly give eternal life to anyone who believes in him. You cannot do anything to save yourself. This father's growing faith in Jesus did not save this boy. Jesus saved him by his grace alone. And Jesus saves us from our sins by grace alone. Romans 10, 17 says this, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. You have heard the words of Jesus this morning. This sign was written so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. And so my question to you this morning is this. Have you ever really, truly felt your need for the Savior? What do you think about when you think about Jesus? Do you think of him being a great miracle-working teacher who can do great things and can add some special things, some help to your own life? Or do you think of him as the Savior? Do you think of him as the Savior of your sinful soul? Are you coming to him as the Savior of sinners? When he seems to be silent or not answering when you call out to him in difficult moments, are you like this official who persisted? Do you trust the goodness of Jesus? Do you trust in the power of Jesus, even when you have to go weeks, months, years, decades without receiving what you've been praying for? Are you trusting in Jesus' words? Colossians 3.16 tells us to let the word of Christ well in us richly. Do you turn to the words of Jesus in moments of fear or anxiety or stress? Are you trusting in the words of Jesus? And then if you are trusting in the Lord Jesus, how is that having an impact on the lives of those in your family? Those you work with? Your neighbors, do people see that you are trusting in the Lord Jesus and is that encouraging them to look to him? May the Lord give us grace 
to put these things into practice. Jesus is the Savior who gives life to those who take him at his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for these words. We are thankful for the words of Jesus. We're thankful for the fact that you are a God who speaks and that you have given us grace to hear and to believe. We pray that you would make us content with your word, that we would spend more time in the upcoming week in it, and that you would open our eyes to see Jesus who gives life and forgives our sin through his death and resurrection. Lord, we thank you for such a wonderful Savior. Help us to tell others about him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.